So if you would turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we'll be looking at a story in the Old Testament here, looking at the first 24 verses of that chapter. <clears throat> well, welcome to 2024. We all have 2023 now in our rearview mirror, and we're now confronted with a brand new year. What will this new year hold? What will populate our news feeds this year? Will the good news outweigh the bad? You know, news comes from so many different sources today and is immediately available to all of us with just a push of a button. So every day there's going to be news to sift through. And as every new year comes, you know, it brings with it a degree of uncertainty. So what will 2024 bring? How will the stock market do? How will our economy perform? What will the housing market look like? What changes will the November elections bring? Uncertainty is a part of every year. But hopefully, the good news will outweigh the bad this next year, or this year. <clears throat> but question, I have a question for you. Do you walk into this new year with excitement for what's to come? or with fear about what might be coming your way. You see, the problem with bad news, when we receive it, we don't receive it by itself because it brings along its friend, fear. And it's not only responding to the bad news that can be difficult and challenging, but it's to live with the fear. That represents the bigger problem. And in reality, we have uncertainty. We have a porous border. We have questions of our election integrity. We have a growing crime rate. We have talk of a coming recession, the softening dollar, Congress that doesn't seem to be able to pass legislation. We have a crisis in the Middle East. We've got a war in Ukraine. But that's out there. How about for you? You see, we're all challenged in certain ways. Rising grocery costs, health concerns, relational tensions, financial pressures. Maybe you're dealing with Christmas credit card debt, job insecurity, peer pressures. Fit in if you go to school, grades. And on a much lesser level, divisional football games that start today. <laughs> and will your team win? Hopefully so. But there's a lot that can be disconcerting as we look at this year. But church, there is so much more that can be encouraging. God has given us the ability to take a look at 2024, to take a look at today, next day, next month, next year, in a way that builds faith in our heart and joy for what's coming. Yeah, all these things are reality. We live in a fallen world. But as Rich prayed, may we live with the reality that eternity is right on the next, or right outside of your door. It is close. And God is with us. I'm going to be reading from our passage today in 2 Chronicles, there in the Old Testament, because we want to look at a character there, a king of Judah named Jehoshaphat. And we want to look at how he responded to uncertainty in his life. 
Because he received some devastating news one day. And in this passage, we want to see that it's possible to live our lives in a world full of uncertainty and not be controlled by the fear that it brings. We need to know that it's possible to live our lives in 2024 in a way that keeps our thoughts and our minds above the fray of fear. Regardless of what's going on and regardless of the news that comes our way, it's possible because of where we put our trust. And the main point, the main idea for this message is this. God is trustworthy. Trust God and pray. God is trustworthy. Trust God and pray. This morning, I'm, I'll have three points as we kind of migrate down through this chapter. The first point is when news brings fear. The second point is when fear brings prayer. And the final point is when prayer brings praise. So please pray with me as we open God's word together. Father, we come to you in prayer. Lord, it is our joy and our privilege to be able to come before the throne of grace. Lord, we come asking to receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Lord, my time of need is now. I want to be faithful to bring the truth of your word to our church. I want to be faithful to direct attention to you, Almighty God. And Father, we pray together as a church that as we open your scripture, you would illuminate our hearts with its truth and build our, our faith and draw our trust for you. Father, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's look at Second Chronicles. First point will be reviewing the first four verses. So I'll read those. Please follow along. The point again is when news brings fear. Beginning in verse 1, chapter 20. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, which was the region, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazaron Tamar, that is, in Jendi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judea. And Judea assembled to seek help from the Lord. And all the cities of Judea, they came to seek the Lord. You see, this multitude that's being referred to is made up of three different nations, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Meunites. And they were discovered marching towards Judah to, to destroy it. So how many are in that army is unclear, but it's referred to as a multitude. Later in this passage is a great horde, which are terms that are used to designate a numerically superior army. This was a real issue. And they were coming from beyond the sea, a reference to the Dead Sea, which is part of the eastern border of Judah. They were from an area outside of the Promised Land, across the Jordan River, and were combining their forces to come and destroy Judah. 
And the invaders from the other side of the Dead Sea were now at their back door. They were in a place called Ingendi, which is on the west shore of the Dead Sea. It was about 39 miles from Jerusalem. That would be the distance between here and Cave Creek. That's how close they were. But they had already traveled about 150 to 200 miles to get to where they were. They were committed to this war. So this nation that's coming, you see, they had a history with Israel. If we go back in Numbers, Numbers chapter 20, verse 19, when Moses was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness wanderings, they actually came into contact with this region. And it's recorded here in Numbers. And it says, And the people of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway, and if we drink your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot. Nothing more. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom, became, or Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. So they have history with this region. But how did Jehoshaphat respond to the news he received about these three different nations now combining their forces, coming to destroy him? See, he was facing the genocide of his nation. He was the king, the sole leader, and his leadership or leadership of the nations was up to him. His decision would shape the nation's success or the nation's demise. So what was his response when he got this news? In verse 3 it said, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. He was genuinely afraid. That's a normal and natural response to bad news. Fear. There was an overwhelming force that was coming against him. So he was afraid. And then what was his first decision after he experienced that fear? And he set his face to seek the Lord. See, what he did in the midst of that fear was important to see. Jehoshaphat then took his fear to the Lord in prayer. He made a decision to seek the Lord, to set his face, as Scripture says, to seek the Lord. It indicates his full attention, his commitment was given to seek the Lord. It was a decision when fear came to go to the Lord in prayer. See, his decision to pray was a godly result of this intense feeling of fear. Because fear itself will tempt us to recoil into ourselves to run from the source of fear, whatever it might be, or to step back and try to figure it out on our own, to just talk it out with others, or distract ourselves with something else. But his response was different. His decision was based on the truth that he knew that God was his nation's only true rescue and refuge. God was the only answer. So when he was afraid, he set his face to seek the Lord. But that's not all he did. Further in verse 3, it says, And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judea. 
He didn't just respond personally, but he led the entire nation in how to respond. Verse 4, And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So they responded. They understood how dire this is. They looked at their leader, their king, and what does he say to do? Seek the Lord to come in prayer. So they came from all the cities. They came together to do that, to seek the Lord. What a great response to fear. What a great response to bad news is to seek the Lord, is to pray. And the the whole nation responded to his appeal. The entire nation was together seeking the Lord, praying and fasting. Praying and fasting. A A unique response to fear. It's an expression of trusting God. See, as we seek the Lord, as we pray, what we're saying to our souls and what we're saying to God and to all who are around is, I trust God. I trust God. Church, let's see his example. And in a very simple way, when our 2024 brings bad news, brings areas that are difficult, challenging, fearful, just remember this. Trust God and pray. Trust God and pray. How different would our life be if every time we are confronted with trials and difficulties, our first step as Jehoshaphat's first step was, trust God and pray. Lord, give us the grace to do that. Because we're tempted to respond when we hear news that brings fear to our lives in a way that lets our first decision be something other than that. You will not have a calamity like Jehoshaphat experienced, but in 2024, how often will news come your way that's challenging, that's difficult? Maybe from a doctor's visit or as you're watching the news on TV from a phone call. Maybe when you see a Facebook post from a text message or Instagram or even your own thoughts that bring news that starts a cascading response in your heart of fear or anxiety. We're never prepared for bad news, difficult news. Several years ago, I got a call from my doctor out of her, after a routine physical, and he said, Trey, I just want to let you know there's something we want to look at. Okay, what's that? Well, you've got a growth on your pancreas, and I'm fine, by the way. You've got a growth on your pancreas that we want to look at and look in another month and see if it's grown. Bad news. Fear. What was my first thought? Well, I've got to understand more about this. I got to, how, do I, how do I respond? It wasn't trust God and pray. That was down the road. But every time I would see a doctor on TV, my mind would go, I wonder how my pancreas is doing. I wonder how that growth is doing. So many different ways, connected thoughts to that situation to where even in a conversation, 
and we're, we're talking about something completely unrelated, that thought would drop into my mind and distract me. Again, each and every time that that fear came, if I could remember what I'm telling you, trust God and pray. That's the way we battle fear. That's the way Jehoshaphat battled fear. That's one of the reasons God has this in his word, to let us see his power, that he is trustworthy. Look to God. It doesn't matter what the fear is. And I remember when I got the next call, a month or so later after more tests, and the doctor said, yeah, it, it, it's fine. It's not growing. There's no issue. I'd like to say I immediately said, thank you, Lord. But I said, doctor, that's great. Thank you so much. Couldn't wait to tell my family. But it was God who met me. Remember, church, trust God and pray. Let's be like Jehoshaphat. Let fear lead us to seek the Lord and encourage those around us to do the same. So point number two, we'll be looking at verses 5 through 12. So the first point is when news brings fear. The second point is when fear brings prayer. Beginning in verse 5, And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Do you not, our God, drive out inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which was, again, Edom, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, again, referring back to that event, the numbers that we read, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. O oh God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So Jehoshaphat not only called a fast, not only set his face to seek the Lord, not only called all to seek the Lord with him, he led the nation in prayer. And his prayer began with praise for God, acknowledging the authority exercised by God from heaven, acknowledging his rule over the kingdoms of the earth and his sovereign power. Then in his prayer... He reviewed the history of how God drove out the nations before them as they occupied the promised land. He calls on God to defend his people against the evading enemy, trying to remove them from the land God had secured for them. 
And then Jehoshaphat waited on God to respond. Jehoshaphat himself was looking to God and leading the nation to do the same. The invading army was already on the west side of the Dead Sea. Their side, they were closing in on them. But Jehoshaphat and the nation waited on God and remained in prayer. I love that phrase. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. How many times, church, do we find ourselves there? We don't know what to do. But may the end of that sentence be, but our eyes are on you. But let's talk about what Jehoshaphat's not doing. He's not delegating his responsibility to seek the Lord in prayer to the priests and the Levites while he took counsel with his generals and developed a military strategy to meet this great multitude. No, he led the nation in prayer. He was trusting God and expressing that trust in prayer for the whole nation to see. He was also not wringing his hands, retreating or ignoring the problem, which is tempting when fear grips our heart about whatever is on the horizon. What he was doing was an example to us. He was seeking the Lord. Listen to his attitude. His approach to solving his national issue. This is life and death. And the way Jehoshaphat expressed his trust in God was through his prayer. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. There's a lot of different places his eyes could be. He could have looked to other nations and promoted an alliance to come against this horde. He could have looked to the invading armor's vast superiority and just surrendered or negotiated a peace. He didn't. He looked to God and kept his eyes on the Lord Jehovah because his prayer was expressing his trust. So how about us? Let's let fear lead us to seek the Lord, not lead us away from him. You see, when we don't understand what's going on, when fear grips us, bad news, difficult situations, and we don't understand why, we don't understand how this is happening, we can easily question God's love, God's faithfulness, God's goodness to us. Rather than taking the posture that Jehoshaphat took, we don't know what to do. You can say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on, but my eyes remain on you. It is easy to take our eyes off of God and question him and even pull away from prayer and being with God when things just don't seem like they're adding up the way they should feeling like you're being mistreated, God's just forgotten about you. Fill in the blank. We've all experienced that kind of feeling. That's where the enemy loves to engage us and to draw us away from prayer, to draw us away from trusting God, to try to show us we can't trust him. He's not trustworthy. He's not worthy of your prayer. Don't wait on him. 
You got to do something. Figure it out. But yet in this devastating situation to where his life, the life of his nation, was being challenged, he waited on God. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. See, Jehoshaphat himself was looking to God and leading the nation to do the same. The invading army was already close and closing in. But they waited for him. They waited on God. On a practical note, as husbands, fathers, our call to lead our families, we can find ourselves in situations to where things are coming to us and we don't know what to do. There are many times over our life together, Charlotte's brought problems to me or concerns or thoughts, and she's bringing them to me, we're talking about it, and I have no idea what to do. But over the years, I've realized that's okay. I'm not the answer man. I'm the husband. And when my wife comes to me with issues, I don't know what to do. It's completely appropriate to just say, I, I'm not sure what to do. Let's pray. That is action taken. That is a step expressing trust in God. That is an effective step to take when we don't know what to do. Guys, we're not going to know what to do. The older you get, the longer you're married, or the longer you live, you just realize this is a world out here that brings stuff that we don't understand, haven't experienced before, don't know what to do. Well, remember Jehoshaphat. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, Lord. We're not taking them off. We're bringing this to you. We're going to continue to bring it to you. We're going to follow what you say. We're going to look to your word. And you will lead us. And we'll see how God intervenes as we continue to go through this chapter. But see its application for us. It's a confusing world. We can go to our God and wait on him. Prayer is our expression of trusting God. Johnny Erickson Tata is a quadriplegic since she was 17 years old. She's now in her 70s. Would be a hero of the faith to me. And reading her materials is a wonderful expression of hearing her relationship with the Lord and her joy and faith in prayer. Let me read you one excerpt from one of her books. It says this. It may only be 7 o'clock in the evening when I'm put to bed. And I may not go to sleep until 11. That leaves me with hours each day to still myself and pray. Sometimes I'm amazed that from my bed, I can help set in motion the cogs and wheels of God's working in the life of the world. Through my prayers, I may change the destiny of a life or even a nation. Lying in my bed, I can hasten the day of the Lord's return. I don't move a muscle in those hours, but I help move the hand of God here and abroad. What a view of prayer. 
we can feel like prayer is one-sided because we just hear us. Let's realize what the counsel of God's Word says about the effectiveness of prayer. We're trusting God. He invented prayer. He created it for us. He made an avenue for us to be able to come to Him with everything, any bad news, any challenge, any fear, and He hears. Prayer is a gift that we have. Let us see how powerful it is. So here we have Jehoshaphat. How does he respond in a very godly way? But church, we have more reasons to trust God than Jehoshaphat did. Where did Jehoshaphat go? He, he went to the temple court to pray. And in the presence of the nation, led the prayer. But why did he do that? Because that's where the presence of God was manifested, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. He went there. That was the place he had to go. There he prayed to Jehovah, seated in heaven. God spoke to him and to Judah through the prophet Jehazel. But church, we have a nearer God and a better prophet. We don't have to go to a place to meet with God. He is with us. We have full access to God through Christ. When it was finished, was uttered from the cross, the curtain in the temple was torn in two, giving full access to the presence of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have more reason to trust God than Jehoshaphat. See, we have Jesus, the perfect prophet, seated at the right hand of God, ever interceding for us. We are not alone. When these things issue or issues come against us, we have one who is interceding for us. Romans 8.34, read earlier, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding, fill in your name. He's interceding for Trey. He's interceding for Lynn. He's interceding for Rick. He's interceding for Charlotte. He's interceding for Christy. He's interceding, fill in your name. Now, right now, at the throne of God, the right hand of God, he's interceding for you and your issue, whatever it might be. Oh, how wonderful that reality. But more than that, we have God, the Holy Spirit, living within us and interceding for us as well. Intercession happening within us and at the throne. Again, in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Oh, Lord, help us to respond to fear and difficulty when we don't know what to do, that we keep our eyes on you, knowing that Christ and the Holy Spirit are interceding for us every moment of every day.
So the first point is let news and fear bring us to prayer. Let prayer. Well, I forgot it myself. Hold on. When fear, let me start back over here. <clears throat> That's why you have notes. You can look back at them. When news brings fear, and then when fear brings prayer, and then the final point is when prayer brings praise. And we'll be looking at verses 13 through 23. Right now I'm going to read 13 through 17. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, son of Metaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the east valley of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. <clears throat> God answered Jehoshaphat's prayer and communicated his answer through one of the prophets in Judah, Jehaziel. And God's answer addresses and dispels their fear. Back to verse 15, and he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Don't be afraid. How many times do we see that in God's word? Fear is something that we deal with. If you're a person, you deal with fear. So many times God's encouragement is, do not fear. Then he says, or be dismayed. See, being in dismay is when you're confused. The fear just is confusing. Have you ever had situations happen that just seem so confusing that you just lose your bearings? You're not really sure what to do next or now. That's being in dismay. And the encouragement there is don't, don't be afraid. Don't be in dismay. What do we do? How do we respond to that? Is we remember to trust God and pray. Is to bring that to him. God knows fear is disorienting. The enemy knows that. The enemy knows that fear causes us to lose our bearings often. And draws us away from trusting God. So again, when we're afraid, when we feel all confused and disoriented. What do we do? Trust God and pray. Trust God and pray. Judah's instructed to not fear because of God's promise to be with them. He is going to fight for them. 
And their response to that news was to worship God and express thanks for his deliverance, a deliverance that was promised but not yet experienced. You see, in verse 18, then Jehoshaphat bowed down his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, what? With a very loud voice. So they've just heard from the prophet, the army is still out there coming. And they are praising the Lord for his promised deliverance. Trust God. This is an expression of that. And Jehoshaphat didn't stop when he heard the prophecy and the promise of deliverance. He instructed them now to praise God through singing. Praising God for his promised deliverance. They hadn't experienced it yet, but were trusting God with their lives and their future. Their trust in God led them to pray, now leads them to express the assurance of the coming victory in song. Jehoshaphat, the nation of Judah, is so convinced that God will fight for them, that God will defeat their enemy, that they even placed the singers in front of the soldiers as they go out to war the next morning. We see this in verse 21 and 22. And when, they, when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who are to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say what they're going to sing. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Praising God with that truth. And verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. As they began to praise, as their prayer brought praise, the Lord moved in bad engaged in the battle with the enemy. So as we process through our own battles with fear, remember, we have more reasons to trust God than Jehoshaphat did. Jesus, our perfect prophet, speaks to us. He has said things like John 16.33. says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Looks like he's looking at 2024. But take heart. I've overcome the world. That's what our Lord has said and communicating to us. Matthew 28, 20, he says, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. There'll never be a moment in your life that God is not with you. Do we feel him? Do we see him? Do we sense he's there? Not very often. But is he? Yes. How do we know? He said so. He said so. And when things are difficult, Christ said this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. 
These are the promises that our Lord has given to us to help inform our ability to trust in him and pray. See, these promises of God and many others express the assurance of our ultimate victory over the difficult trials in our lives. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, there is help in God for your present trial, whatever form it assumes. Infinite wisdom understands it, and infinite power can help you through it. That's our God. You see, our praises express trust in God that our ultimate victory is secure. The battles before us loom large. It did for Jehoshaphat. But God looms larger. You see, God has told us things to encourage our hearts, to seek God in prayer when we're anxious. Philippians chapter 5 through 7. says, the Lord's at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer, supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. God's very words. You see, our praise expresses our confidence in a holy God who has overcome the enemy. In Psalm 31, 15, it says, My times are in your hands. Rescue me from my enemies and my persecutors. That's God's word to us. And when things are difficult, when we're tempted to fear, we know that we will never have a temptation that's beyond what we can bear. This word says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that we will not be tempted beyond what we can bear, but God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear, but will provide a way of escape that we might be able to hold up under it. How many times is that way of escape prayer? And we don't pray if we don't trust God. They're connected. Remember, church, when fear comes in, when trials happen, very simply, trust God and pray. As they began to praise God, God defeated the enemy. God can move however God wants to move. That's not a formula, but it is a principle. We see this elsewhere in Scripture too. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas were going to a place of prayer in Philippi, and they encountered a slave girl who was possessed by an evil spirit, and they delivered her. But for that, where they were arrested, they were beaten with rods and then thrown into prison and put in shackles. How did they respond? In Acts 16, beginning of verse 25, it says, In about midnight, Paul and Silas were what? Praying and singing. Singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Can't imagine what they were thinking. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When prayer brings praise. When we're trusting God and in that trust expressing it through prayer. And through prayer, 
wanting to express our confidence in our God as our deliverer and the one who is holding us through praise. We may not see it, we may not understand it, but our eyes are on you. And keeping our eyes fixed on him, there are many challenges that are before us. Let's trust God with them. Let's pray to God through them and praise God in the midst of them. Let's put this into practice. And church, what I'd like to do to conclude this message is this. I'd like to lead us in prayer. But I want to, in my prayer, leave a moment for each and every one of you to express areas in your life where you're experiencing difficulty, challenge, fear, where you've received bad news, and give you a moment, an opportunity to trust God and pray, to take it to the Lord in prayer, silently. And then we'll have the worship team come up and lead us in praise. Church, let's trust God and pray. Let's let our prayer bring us to praise. So please pray with me.